Now, let's say, let me say a few words about 3 John before we begin reading it this morning. 3 John, our, our series is entitled Christian Love and Hospitality. A Christian Love and Hospitality. And we've been talking about love as we've gone through 1 John and 2 John, and we've talked about how we come into relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. There are truths about Jesus we need to know. And then as we accept those truths about Jesus and place our faith in Him, as the Son of God, as the, the person who came and became flesh and, and uh, dwelt among us and took the penalty of our sin on, on himself and died for us and rose from the dead. We, we believe in him. We place our faith in him for our salvation. And then after our hearts have been transformed by the gospel, we walk in obedience to him. And then as we walk in obedience to God in response to the truth, our responsibility is to love each other. And in Third, third John, what we see is one of the applications of that responsibility to love each other, and that is hospitality. Hospitality. Now, here's kind of the definition that I've been thinking, okay, how do we talk about what hospitality is? Kind of the definition that I'm working with as we go through this series is this. Hospitality, hospitality is when I demonstrate my love for others by joyfully using my home and other resources to meet their physical needs. That's hospitality. Hospitality is when I demonstrate my love for others by joyfully using my home and other resources to meet their physical needs. That's, that's hospitality. I think that's the biblical picture of hospitality that we see. Joyfully using those resources that God has given us to meet the physical needs of others, and I'm doing that to demonstrate my love for them. So hospitality is, is something that, that flows out of a love for others. And I'm sure many of you can think of examples of people who have exercised hospitality toward you. And I can think of many times I've been in your homes, the hospitality you've shown to me. I can think of trips I've taken and the hospitality that people have shown to me as a, as a brother in Christ. I can remember right after high school, in the, the summer, I went and stayed for a month in Croatia, and I was doing some teaching through a mis- missionary there, and, and just a family took me into their home, me and another college student, and this family was probably making about $500 a month, and yet they, they gladly, joyfully took in these, these two uh, Christian college students and provided for their physical needs in order for the sake of the gospel. And just a beautiful, uh, beautiful picture of what hospitality looked like to me at an early age. And so we're going to be talking about hospitality and thinking through what it looks like. And as we go through Third John, we're going to see kind of four characters. We're going to see Gaius, and he's the one the letter is written to. We're going to see John, of course. We're going to see this uh, person named uh, Demetrius, who is one that we are to to emulate, and we're also going to see Diotrephes, and he is a person who doesn't practice hospitality, and we're going to look at each of these these, uh, people who are mentioned in the book and kind of draw some applications from them. We're going to look at this book for about six weeks, and in that, or six messages, and there's going to be some other things that are interspersed during the midst of us going through 3 John, and then just kind of give you a little bit of a heads up as we come to the end of 3 John, after we finished Third John, Lord willing. This is all, you know, uh, I'm optimistic that this is our plan. But at the end of Third John, my, my, our plan is to finish up right on that last week. And then the week after that, uh, I'm going to be out of the pulpit for eight weeks. Our family is taking a, a sabbatical. 
And so we're going to take some time and uh, focus on some other ministry aspects and some personal aspects as we think through uh, how God would have us serve the next seven years here at Bethany Community Church. At at, uh, Bethany, we're uh, able to take a, very generously on the part of the church, take a seven-week sabbatical, and so uh, our family is going to be doing that here at the end of 3 John, Lord willing. And again, the goal of that is that we'd come back and be prepared, uh, better prepared for the next seven years of ministry here at Bethany as, as the Lord leads. And so I'm, I'm excited for the people who are going to be filling the pulpit those eight Sundays, a little jealous, a little very nervous about uh, being gone. Uh, I want the pulpit to still be here when I get back. So uh, we'll, uh, but we look forward to, um, to finishing Third John and seeing what God does in the life of our church as we talk about hospitality. So that's kind of the roadmap as we go through Third John and beyond what the next couple months of our church life looks like. So, have you found Third John yet? Okay, Third John there, right before Jude, right before Revelation, and we're going to look at the first four verses this morning, and really focusing, I told you we're going to look, kind of look at a character, a person in the, in the letter each week, a person in the epistle, and really John is our focus this first section. We're going to see something about the relationship between John and and the people to whom, the person to whom he's writing. So, if you'd please stand with me as we look at the first four verses of Third John together. Here's what John writes: The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came. And testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You may be seated. Let's pray as we continue our time of looking at God's word together. Father, we thank you for these words here that John writes under the direction of your Holy Spirit. So they're your words. We pray that you'd help us as we think through how to apply them in our lives, that you would give us just great grace to walk in the truth. We thank you for the example that Gaius provides for us and that John provides for us of this relationship that exists between these two men, and we pray that we would emulate it. We pray for those this morning who are not feeling well. We pray for those who are traveling. We pray for safety. We pray just even in our church as we go through the day that Help us think rightly about your truth and about who you are and how you desire us to live. We thank you for the, the things we're going to be talking about this evening. And we just thank you for this church, for this community of faith. Lord, I just echo John's words here in, in praising you for, for people in my life who walk in the truth, the example they are to me and the joy that they bring me. We pray that you'd help us to continue in that, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. So, we're talking about Christian love and hospitality as we go through Third John, but as we look at these first four verses, we're talking about something a little bit different, and you'll see next week, I think, how this relates to hospitality, but it's not explicitly about hospitality this morning. It's about something else. You can see the, the title slide there, uh, How to Bring Joy to Shepherds, is, is what we're talking about this morning. And, and perhaps you're thinking this, Daniel, uh, aren't you a shepherd? The answer is, is yes, 
And your follow-up question might be, well, uh, Daniel, isn't that a little self-serving? Haven't you essentially just come up with a message entitled, How to Bring Joy to Me? And uh, the answer is, yes, it would appear that way. I can understand how you might, the more cynical among you might think that way. Uh, I certainly would think that way. It is a little bit awkward to talk about an entire message, how to bring joy to, to me and other spiritual shepherds. But stay with me, okay? As we talk about how to bring joy to shepherds, what I think you'll see is we're not talking about the type of joy and, and happiness that a boss might have. You might have in your relationship with your boss where the boss says, uh, I want you to bring me happiness. And what your boss means by that is I want you to work really hard and do things that are not good for you in order to make me look good. That's not the type of happiness that we're talking about here in Third John. That's not the type of happiness that John talks about that, that Gaius is bringing him. The type of joy that we're talking about here is more like the joy that a parent feels whenever their child is is doing well. And as their child does well and walks in obedience and good things happen to the child, the parent feels a sense of joy and happiness in in the success of their child. My dad one time told me, and I think this is very true, he told me this when I was in high school, he said, you know, son, there are only two people in your life right now who only want good things for you. In other words, their relationship with you is is only about you being successful. And he said, it's me and your mom, and you would do well to listen to me and your mom because we are the only two people speaking in your life right now who only want what's best for you. And I think there was a lot of truth to that. As we go through these four verses, what I hope to do with you is kind of go through a logical progression of ideas. We're going to look at kind of each verse, and as we look at each verse, we're going to kind of see this logical progression of thought that I think will lead us to this conclusion. This is the the main thing that I want you to grasp from these four verses this morning. What I hope you see through this progression of thought is that the thing, the thing that will make a good spiritual shepherd happy is the same thing that is going to bring me the most joy. Let me say that again. This is what I want you to grasp this morning as we go through these verses and kind of go through this logical progression of thought. The very thing that is going to bring a good spiritual shepherd happiness, obedience to God, is the very, through faith in Jesus, the very thing that's going to make a good spiritual shepherd happy is the same thing that is going to bring me the most joy. In other words, as I think about how can I make the spiritual shepherds in my life happy, how can I bring them joy, and as I begin to pursue that path of bringing spiritual shepherds in my life joy, as I do that, I am simultaneously pursuing the path that is going to bring me the greatest joy. And so when I say this morning that the message is somewhat self-serving, I have to admit, that's, that's true, and it's going to be true to the extent that I'm a good shepherd at least. And so as you pursue the things, though, this is the good news that make me and the other spiritual shepherds in your life happy. And as, as I pursue the things in my life that are going to make my spiritual shepherds happy, I am simultaneously, and you are simultaneously, pursuing the things that are going to bring you joy. It's neat how that works out that way, right? I'll also say this. As I was thinking about this message this week, I I had this thought. I thought, how much do the people in our church really even need this message? 
I would hate for you to hear me say some of the things that, I, that I'm saying this morning and think, oh, wow, uh, Daniel really thinks we're failing in this area. Because I don't. The amount of joy that I receive from being a shepherd and the amount of joy that the other shepherds of this church receive from being shepherds of this church is, is overwhelming. In fact, just this morning, uh, someone sent me a text encouraging me, saying, hey, I'm praying for you this morning. I'm so excited about listening to God's word this morning, and it just overwhelmed me. I said, hey, uh, you don't need to come to church this morning. You've already got everything we're going to be talking about down. <laughs> so what I hope happens this morning is not that you go, uh, most of us go, wow, we're really failing as a church in this area. What I, I hope happens is you say, man, I, I'm excited that God has allowed us as a church to be obedient in this area, and I want to continue to be obedient in this area. Now, there may be some of us here, though, who ha- have struggled in this area. We're, we're all human, and certainly to, to some extent, all of us, all of us struggle with the idea of people being in, in authority or leadership over us. And so as we talk this morning about spiritual leadership, there's, there's certainly going to be aspects of us that go, boy, uh, I am uncomfortable with that. I have struggled with that. And so by God's grace, let's look at God's word together and, and see where we need to change and where we need to grow and how God would have us improve, okay? So here, let's go through these thoughts as we look at each of these verses and kind of come to this conclusion that as I pursue the things that are going to bring my spiritual shepherd's joy, I'm simultaneously pursuing the things that are going to bring me joy, or the thing that's going to bring, bring me joy, obedience to God through faith in Jesus. Okay, so here's the first thought that I want you to, to get down with me here from verse 1. Uh, the first thought is this, uh, good shepherds, good shepherds really love you. A good shepherd really loves you. Here's what he says in verse 1. John writes, to Gaius, he says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So John is the elder that is being referred to there. He's the one writing the letter. He's a person with great authority, and as we've talked about before, John wields that authority gently. And he's writing to to this guy, Gaius, and this name is a very common name. You'll encounter it several times in Scripture. There's a, a, a Gaius in Macedonia, in Derby. There's one in uh, Corinth as well. But, but he says, uh, this, is, this is a different one. This is uh, a guy here, and John refers to him as, as beloved. Some use the word, some translations may use the word friend here, but I think there's something more to this word than just kind of a, he's, not more, he's more than just a buddy. He's, he's beloved. We see this adjective used to describe other people in Scripture, people with whom there's a close personal connection and also shared ministry. So, for example, in Ephesians, Paul refers to Tychicus as the beloved brother. In Colossians, he refers to Epaphras as our beloved fellow servant. In 2 Peter, Peter refers to Paul as our beloved brother. In other words, sometimes as we see this this adjective beloved used to describe people, we're talking about people with whom there's this close personal connection and shared ministry goals. Gaius, remember what's going on in, in John's ministry, John has been faithfully shepherding the churches here in Asia Minor, and as he's been faithfully shepherding these churches, there have been those who have broken away from from the fellowship, from those who have been walking with the Lord. And and Gaius is a guy who has stuck with John, and John, as he thinks about Gaius, he thinks about this, this fellow servant, this guy who's been with him through thick and thin, and we're going to see that he rejoices because of that. There's this close relationship that Gaius and John have, and John says, this guy Gaius, 
He says, he's my beloved Gaius. He says, I'm writing to you whom I love in truth. Notice once again, as we've gone through all of John's writings, how important this idea of truth is. In fact, even though we as believers are called to love everyone, what we see in John and Gaius' relationship is just an illustration of this truth. There is a certain love that can only exist between believers. God has called us to love everyone, but there's a special love we have to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. So, for example, Jesus in John 13 would say, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, there's a special love that exists between believers. It's a type of love that that can't exist between us and anyone else because it's a love based on truth, on this shared understanding of who Jesus Christ is and this new relationship we have with God. John 15, verse 12 Jesus would say, this is my commandment that you love one another. In verse 17 of John 15, these things I command, me, command you so that you will love one another. Romans 13.8, Romans 13.8, Paul, as he's talking to the believers in Rome, he says, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In other words, we can fulfill all of our obligations that we have to people, all the financial obligations we have to one another, but there's one obligation that we are never going to fulfill completely, and that is our obligation to love each other. There's always going to be, among believers, this obligation to continually, sacrificially lay down our lives for each other. This exists within the context of the community of faith, and it's a special type of sacrificial love. 1 Peter 4.8, this, this is a verse that some of us should have just, just tattooed on our foreheads, figuratively. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Why? Because love does what? Love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. John really loves Gaius. He says, I love you in, in truth. We have this shared commitment. We've talked all before about truth in 1 John and 2 John. And very interestingly, 3 John is going to be somewhat light on doctrine. It's all about application of doctrine application of the truth, love. He says, I love you in truth because of this shared commitment we have to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. There's, there's a special type of love that exists. On Monday night, our, our family had the opportunity to kind of just get together and just spend some neat time together. And there's kind of an issue that our family is, is struggling through. And we just kind of sat down and we, we talked about it. We started reading a book together and then we talked about the, the content of this book together. And we kind of each shared some things. And what's interesting to me is our family is very diverse. You know, we have some kids that enjoy, uh, well, just different things. I don't want to embarrass them too much. But, but even within that, that diversity, as we talked about our application of, of this issue that we as a family are thinking through, what, what was neat to me was our, our shared commitment to the truth. We all said we want to be obedient to God in this area of our lives. That's what exists here in John and Gaius' relationship. 
John has a special sacrificial love that he feels toward Gaius. He loves like Christ has loved. The first thing that I want you to see as we think about the relationship between John and Gaius is that a good shepherd really loves you. A good shepherd has a deep and profound love for everyone, but especially for other believers. Here's the second concept I want us to think through as we think through this progression of thought. Good shepherds, number two, good shepherds demonstrate love by wanting good things for you. Okay? Look at verse two. He says, uh, after he says, I love you in truth, he says, beloved, he's talking to, to Gaius there, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That's what he says there in verse 2. Now, some have taken this verse to mean, well, John wants uh, Gaius to be wealthy. He has this kind of this health and wealth idea. He wants Gaius to have everything that he wants. And what I think that does is that exactly turns the meaning of the verse around. In other words, he's saying, uh, the perp- many people are saying that the purpose of John there is to, to pray for Gaius's physical well-being and, and the spiritual will follow. And I don't think that's what John is saying at all. It's a perversion of this verse. We know that it's not necessarily God's overarching plan for us to have health and wealth. First Peter chapter 2, Peter would say this, if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And he says, he's talking about suffering. In verse 21, he says, for to this you have been called. Suffering, you've been called to suffer as believers, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So what I think this verse is not saying, I don't think this verse is saying John is is praying that, that Gaius would be healthy and wealthy for the sake of being healthy and wealthy. He's saying, look, uh, I understand. Notice what he says here at the end of verse 2. He says, I'm I'm praying the same thing for you physically that is happening to you spiritually. I want things, as things are going with your soul, I want them to be in other areas of your life. Gaius has already been pursuing good things. He says, Gaius, I, I know that you are pursuing that which is most important, and because that's your your focus." I want other things to be going well in your life as well so that you can fulfill the purpose to which God has called you. Does that make sense, that distinction? In other words, he's not saying, I want you to pursue Christ so that you can have physical blessings. He's saying, because you're pursuing Christ, I want the physical blessings to follow from that. Why? Because I know that you will use those physical blessings to continue to pursue the spiritual thing to which you're pursuing. The bottom line here is that John only wants good things for Gaius because he knows that Gaius is pursuing good things. There are some people that John would not be able to pray this prayer for. He wouldn't pray for physical blessings commensurate to how things are going in that person's spiritual life. Because Gaius is walking the truth, as we'll talk about here in just a second, John says, look, I want only good things for you. Because I love you. Everything that John wants for him is good. And this is the mark of a true shepherd. There are going to be some people in your life who don't really care what happens to you physically. They're not going to care how well you're doing with your physical needs. They're not going to care about how you're doing emotionally. There are going to be some people in your life who kind of like it whenever bad things happen to you who aren't going to to want good things to happen to you physically or emotionally or or in any way. 
it would be very foolish for you to pursue a lifestyle that is in keeping with their lifestyle. In other words, it would be very foolish for you to imitate the lifestyle of a person who doesn't really care how you're doing or may even want bad things to happen to you. A good spiritual shepherd only wants good things for you. So, follow the line of thinking here. A good shepherd loves you, really loves you, in the truth. A good shepherd demonstrates love by wanting good things for you. And then here's the the third thing we see. Good shepherds can have no greater joy than to find you walking in obedience to God. Good shepherds can have no greater joy than to find you walking in obedience to God. Verse 3, John says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Remember what John said in 1 John chapter 1? He said, as we began 1 John chapter 1, he said, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In other words, the whole reason that I'm writing First John is that you can know the truth and, and walk in it pass this truth test. As we looked at Second John, he said, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children. He's talking to the church there to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Now, as he talks to Gaius here, he says, I rejoice greatly to find that you're walking in the truth. And what might have happened is something like this. John, remember John is having to deal with all these people who are leaving the faith, those who are denying the the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, and so he's dealing with that, and he's hearing from people, and he's hearing reports of different churches, different local congregations there in Asia Minor, and he hears about this church that's had some of the leadership leave. He's he's talking to someone about this church, and they've had tension and, and people not loving each other, and then he hears about another guy, and he hears some good things then, and then he hears about Gaius. And someone says, well, 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 Paul, or John, let me, let me tell you about what's going on in, in Gaius' life. Uh, Gaius is, is walking in the truth. And in other words, Gaius is fulfilling all those things we've talked about as we went through First John and we talked about what love looked like. Gaius is fulfilling those things. Gaius' life is marked by sacrificial service to other believers. He's giving of himself and his home through hospitality, and we'll talk about in the, that in the coming weeks. He is being loving in his confrontation of, of evil, and he, he's doing all the things that a person who loves does. And as John hears about Gaius and hears about the things that are going on in Gaius's life, he gets excited. There is joy, and he says, I, I rejoice greatly. There was, there was this excess of joy as I heard about you, and I, I hear about all these bad things that are going on in all the churches, and it can be kind of discouraging. And then I hear about Gaius, and I, I rejoice greatly, and he rejoiced so greatly that he wrote Third John for the church for us to hear about his joy. In fact, not only was he excited, but, but, but catch this, there was This is so important for you to understand. He says, not only was I excited, not only was I, oh, that's kind of a good thing. He says, I I have no greater joy, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, I think he's talking there about his spiritual children, those who he's been a part of their, their spiritual development, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Do you catch that? 
for this spiritual shepherd, for John, there is no greater joy that he could have than to find that the people whom he loves are walking in obedience to God. You just need to to let that soak in and grasp that because that is so important for what we're talking about this morning. The highest level of of joy that a good shepherd can experience is to find the people to whom he is shepherding them walking in obedience. My uh, first sabbatical seven years ago, as I thought about, okay, what what does the next seven years of my life need to look like? We're getting ready to plant this church, and what, what is my ministry? What's the purpose of my ministry? What's the purpose of the church? And as I was going through my sabbatical last time, I came to Colossians chapter one. I said, this is it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul describes his ministry. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. That's Paul's passion. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then these two verses especially just just, soaked on them my whole first sabbatical. It says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's, that's the goal of the shepherd, to, to take the truths of God's word, the truth of the gospel, and impart it in other people's lives. That's the, which we toil, that's what we suffer for, that's why we, we endure affliction, so that, so that we can, can make the word of Christ fully known and present all of us complete in Jesus Christ. Let me give you an illustration of that in Paul's life. 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about his ministry in Thessalonica. And as he talks about how he had to leave them, he says, uh, we, we, we wanted to see you face to face. We wanted to come to you again. and We wanted to come to you again. And he says in verse 19 and 20 of 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. There is nothing else that a spiritual shepherd is going to be able to point to at the coming of the Lord Jesus to, ass- to assess the success of his ministry except his pursuit of this object. When the Lord Jesus comes, the shepherds at Bethany Community Church aren't going to be able to point to our attendance numbers. We're not going to be able to point to our financial numbers as, hey, look at what we did. We're not going to be able to point to the, the brick and mortar of a building and say, look at this. This, this. this defines our success. The only thing we can do is say, look, Lord Jesus, this is, this is what I did to strive toward this end, that that people would love you and be obedient to you. This is what we did to make your word fully known in the lives of those whom we love. That's it. There's nothing else. 
There's no other basis upon which we can base our success than that. In, the, in other words, there, there's, that's the reason there's no greater joy than to find the people that we love walking in obedience to God because that's our whole aim in life in terms of ministry. I can remember the, the first time this, this truth kind of came crashing down on me as I was involved in ministry kind of uh, and went to a retreat one time with, with some kids there in our first couple months of, of ministry, and uh, it had been tough. You know, ministry had been tough. We had, we had told parents, look, our, our objective as, as youth pastor is to, um, to, to, to make God's Word known. You know, it's, that, that, and that kind of wasn't as exciting for some people, and truthfully, I wasn't as good at it yet as I needed to be, and so I wasn't seeing the, the fruit that I desired to see. And I was talking to some of the kids one night, and we went to listen to this, this speaker, and, and we were walking back, and we were with Whitney and, and, and two of these other girls and, and from the youth group, and one of the girls said, uh, boy, I was just really, really bothered tonight. So what, what do you mean? She said, well, th- that speaker didn't, didn't talk about God's Word. She said, I just, you've taught us we need God's Word, and I, I want that. I, I long for that. I want to be obedient to it, and just felt that, that kind of joy for one of the first times of, man, this is what it looks like for someone that you love to be walking in obedience to the truth. You've experienced it as well as you've shepherded. A good shepherd can have no greater joy than to find the people he loves walking in the truth in obedience to God. So that brings us to the, the last point here, the conclusion of of these four points. There's a lot I want to say to this last point, so don't start wrapping up your, uh, your notes there. But here's the fourth truth. Therefore, therefore, making a good shepherd happy means that I am pursuing that which will bring me the greatest joy. If it's true, if it's true that good shepherds can have no greater joy than to find you walking in obedience to God, what that means is, therefore, there's Making a good shepherd happy means I'm pursuing that which will bring me the greatest joy. And in 1 John, we, in 2 John and 3 John, we see that's all about walking according to the truth. That's about walking in obedience to God. And so as I, as I make a good shepherd happy, I'm pursuing that which is going to bring me the greatest joy. Now, let me read to you Hebrews 13, 17. I'm going to have several things by, by way of application here. Lots of points I want to get to in terms of application. And I and, uh, hope you can just kind of stay with this and think through it. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 17. And, and this is where it gets potentially a little bit awkward, okay? But I'm convinced this is what brings you the greatest joy, so I'm going to share these things, and hopefully you know my heart in this. Hebrews 13, 17, the writer says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. If you have a, a groaning leader, it's not advantageous to you. It's not the best thing for your soul. And there are times in ministry life, even at a good church like Bethany, where, where spiritual shepherds groan. 
when there's conflict, when there's self-seeking, selfishness, when there's sin, there's groaning. And my desire is for you to have advantage. My desire is for you to, to have leaders like, like John who, who rejoice as they find those whom they love walking in the truth. And so I want to give just seven suggestions here on what you can pursue in order to bring a good shepherd joy. Seven suggestions here on what you can pursue in order to bring a good shepherd joy. Number one, pursue God passionately. Pursue God passionately. Jesus in Matthew 22 has this lawyer ask him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And and Jesus says in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. And it would be very hard for any of us to get in any sort of trouble whatsoever if we said, My chief aim here is to pursue God passionately, to love him completely. And if you pursue that, that, everything else falls into place, right? If you want to make spiritual shepherds happy, pursue God passionately. Number two, number two, and I want to be very careful here, commit to the church wholly. Pursue God passionately, commit to the church wholly. First, second, and third John all deal with people leaving the fellowship. People who have been a part of the fellowship, and, and then things happen, and, and, and they leave. And I'll tell you, um, one of the most encouraging things you can do to leaders is to, to commit to the church completely. To say, this, this is my family, and I am I'm committed to you, because it is only in the context of a committed relationship that the deep relationships can form. I would encourage you to formally pursue church membership. Uh, we say, well, and a lot of people have a struggle with this. You say, well, you know, do I need to be a member of a church? Do I need to jump through some sort of hoops in order to, to say that I'm a, a member? And I, I would say, yes, you do. Here's why. First of all, you've been commanded to be in relationships, in committed relationships with one another. Hebrews 13, or Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day. In other words, there's this constant relationship that you're committed to. Ephesians talks about the body uh, being growing together, and we, we, we grow together, and we're no longer tossed like children to, to and fro by the waves, carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so I think we would all agree that we are called to, to be in these committed relationships, and I would argue that these committed relationships exist when we, we formally say, I am in this relationship with you. You say, well, you know, how do we express that commitment? Well, one of the ways is we, we look to those whom God has placed in leadership over us, and we say, okay, you, you tell us what does it look like for us to be in this committed relationship. Whenever I, I struggled with church membership, and there were some hoops that I was being asked to, to go through that I thought, yeah, I don't know if that's a, a great idea or not. I, I was just very convicted by some of these passages in Hebrews. I said, well, you know what? If this is what those who love me are asking me to do, all right, I'll sign some pieces of paper. I'll go to this class and joyfully do it. I encourage you to think about that. 
Commit to holy to relationships. Commit formally and informally. Commit to the church. Say, okay, I'm going to be involved in, in the lives of other people. I'm going to practice hospitality. We'll talk about this in coming weeks, more about what it looks to commit to the church holy, but it's going to involve sacrificial care on our part for others. A strong commitment yields strong relationship. In fact, one time, I think it's okay to, to tell the story, but one time there was a, a couple that, that uh, we loved very much. We talked to them about committing completely to the, to the church. It's, it just I said to me, as I look at your life, it seems very obvious that you're in the periphery of, of church life, and I just, I just don't think that's going to bring you the greatest joy and I encourage you to, to get involved in membership. And they asked to go out to dinner with us, and so they went out to dinner with us, and they said, boy, um, it kind of hurts that you think that we're not completely committed to the church. And we are absolutely, just because we're not members doesn't mean that we're not completely committed to the church. I said, well, I, okay. And I said, well, uh, and also we're leaving Okay, um, interesting, right? Strong commitment saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to formally declare my relationship with you. It, it, it makes relationship harder to leave, and that's a good thing. It forces us to go through tough things together at times. Bring joy to leaders by pursuing God passionately, by committing to one another wholly. Number three, by loving one another extravagantly. How can I pursue the joy of those who are spiritual shepherds, good spiritual shepherds, by loving each other extravagantly. We've talked about this multiple times as we've gone through First, Second, and now Third John. Love each other extravagantly. Live lives of sacrificial care for one another, laying down your needs to meet the needs of others. Number four, <clears throat> excuse me, number four, Give to the church sacrificially. Give to the church sacrificially. And I say this, first of all, not to those of you who are visitors. Uh, we're not asking you to give sacrificially to the church financially or with your time. And we are also not saying this to those of you who are in need. If you are in need, the biblical injunction to you is to receive help. But for those of you who have resources, God's call for your joy is that you would be a sacrificial giver of both ministry and with your time. Uh, Paul says in, in Second Corinthians, in fact, whenever we planted the church, as we began the church, I said, you know, I want our church to be a, a Macedonian church. It's from Second Corinthians chapter 8 where the Macedonians are just begging Paul to, to give. They, they, they recognize the joy that, that there is in giving, so they, they beg and Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. And what I want for you as a church is for God's grace to abound in you, and so I want you to be a cheerful generous, sacrificial giver of both your physical resources and of your time for your joy. And I will tell you, I'll tell you, as we've been going through this, this building time, there have been times where we as, as spiritual shepherds have just looked at how the church is giving and we have just rejoiced. We know, we know that some of you, and we don't know, we don't know names and amounts and things like that, but we, we know that you're giving sacrificially. We wouldn't be able to have, have, have 
have done the ministries that we've done while raising the money we've raised apart from sacrificial giving, and that brings joy. At the same time, I think you also need to know that there have been times where your spiritual shepherds, where, where some people, I, you know, I got an email uh, yesterday from, from just a shepherd who is just, he says, boy, I'm, I'm looking at this number, I'm looking at this number, and, and you know, I'm thinking about this, and it's causing him, not groaning, but, but just some, how, how, do, how, do I, how do I handle all this? Perhaps, perhaps some of us need to grow in this, because... There's a burden that some leaders are feeling that they shouldn't feel. You know, Hebrews talks about imitating your, your leaders. And uh, before we sat down and looked, looked at a budget each year, we ask ourselves, are we as leaders willing to give sacrificially so that we can, can call others to do so as well? And I would encourage you to imitate your leaders in this area for your joy. Fifth thing here to encourage you with is to submit to leaders willingly. Submit to leaders willingly. This doesn't mean, by the way, whenever I say submit to leaders willingly, this doesn't mean like turn off your brains and say, okay, whatever the leader says is what I will do. That, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, submitting to leaders doesn't mean saying, well, I guess the leaders are always right. You know that's not true. That's ridiculous. Uh, it, it, means, it means continuing to give input, to continuing to give uh, counsel to leaders, to challenging them when they need to be challenged. But what it means, what this word submit means, is to, to willingly place yourself under the direction of another person in those areas where God has given them spiritual authority. So whenever I submit myself to another person, I'm saying, okay, I recognize that not because you're the brightest, not because you're the best, but because God has placed you in this position, I'm going to willingly place myself underneath you in those areas to which God has called you to give direction. It's a hard thing to do. It's something that doesn't sit well with our independent spirit, but it's something that God has called us to do. As I practice submission, what it means is I'm saying I'm I'm joyfully encouraging you in those things that God has placed you in leadership of my life, and I'm going to support you in the decisions that you make as long as they don't run contrary to God's word, as long as you don't step beyond the boundaries of the authority that God has given you through his word. I think this is really crucial. There are things that God can teach you only as you submit to other people. There are things that leaders can see in your life that you can't see. There are leaders that, the things that leaders can see in my life that, that I can't see apart from them coming alongside me and saying, hey, Daniel, this is what you need to do in this area. Submitting to the elders at Bethany Community Church is, is one of the greatest joys of my life. In fact, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, as we, I, I struggle with submitting to elders uh, even as we were thinking about planting the church. I, I believed that the best thing was to plant the church several years earlier than, than we actually did. And as I came to the leaders at Bethany Baptist Church, hey, I think we need to go ahead with this now. And they said, no, this is the timeline that we think. And, and what did I have to do in that situation? I had to grumble in my heart against them. No, I, I had and, and worked to undermine their authority. No, I didn't do that, Lord willing. I said, you know what? I think, I think that they're wrong, and I mean, not, not like sinfully wrong. I think they're practically wrong, but okay, very clear what I need to do. I need to do what they're saying. You know what God did in those years that we waited before he planted the church? He began the orphan care ministry. I'm pretty happy about the orphan care ministry, <laughs> My family is different because the orphan care ministry exists. The culture of our church is different 
because the orphan care ministry exists. I'm grateful to God for people in my life that he called me to submit to. Now, they didn't know the orphan care ministry was going to begin, but, but still, you know, God used submission, I think, in his grace to allow neat things to happen into eternity. In fact, it was another, I, I'm going a little long, but it's snowy, whatever. Um, just another funny story. Pastor Rich called me up a few months ago. And they're, you know, they're changing their elder structure. And he said, hey, Daniel, I know that you do elders a, a certain way. Um, you, you, do, you do this here in terms of uh, year terms, and you know, they can re-up, but you still have this, 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 uh, this term. Uh, why do you do that? He said, well, Rich, that's funny you should ask that, because I didn't want to do that. But as we planted the church, we made the very conscious decision as, as shepherds of, of Bethany community to, to not install elders right away. And as we designed our constitution, our bylaws, and how we're going to be elders, we went back to you guys at Bethany Baptist and said, hey, we want to be in submission to you. And, and as we presented our plan, you asked us to make that change, and so that's why that exists. And I said, it's not what I would have put in there, but every time I, I see that element in there, there's, there's happiness because I remember we, that's in there because we submitted to you, and, and it, it brings me joy. And he goes, oh, good. I'm glad we forced you to do that then. <laughs> But we're not going to. There's joy in submission, right? There's things that God teaches us through submission that he wouldn't otherwise. And there's, there's joy that we had as a church in submitting to Bethany Baptist as, and, 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 and wanting to bring them joy in their leadership of us. Two more things, very quickly. I don't think they require a lot of elaboration. Number six, study God's word faithfully. Study God's word faithfully. It allows us to do the other things. We'll continue to talk about that. Number seven, pray for shepherds unceasingly. Pray for shepherds unceasingly. You know our failings. Not all of them. You know many of them. And God, in his grace, has given us a, a praying church that supports her shepherds well. This is, these things aren't easy things to talk about for me, um, but, but I'm convinced of this. First of all, I'm convinced of your obedience in this area. I'm convinced that you are being faithful in this, and I want to commend you in that and just encourage you to continue in that. And the reason that I can say these things with confidence, first of all, is what God's Word says, and I know that you love God's Word and you want to hear what God's Word says. But I'm also convinced of this. The things that are going to bring shepherds the greatest joy the thing that's going to bring shepherds the greatest joy, loving God and demonstrating that by obedience, is the same thing that's going to bring you the greatest joy. And that's exciting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Third John. We thank you for uh, this, this expression of love and hospitality that we're going to come and, and talk about in the coming weeks. And we pray that you give us grace to be obedient to you in all things. I thank you for the faithfulness of this church in this area we've talked about in terms of of making spiritual shepherds joyful. We pray for continued obedience in that area. And we, I pray for just the fullness of joy in the lives of our people. And I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.